Good afternoon and welcome to this discussion on recovery and sustainability. How can SMEs achieve both? I'm Brian McGuire. This event is supported by Generali. You can follow the discussion at hashtag EA debate. So please tweet your comments there uh, using the hashtag on our social media team. I will respond uh, to you also. And to ask questions, go to the chat section and use the ask button. And we'll take your questions later on in the program. Small and medium-sized enterprises are the beating heart of Europe's economy, accounting for over 90% of all businesses in the EU and more than half of its GDP, employing around 100 million EU workers before the pandemic. The latest flash barometer, Eurobarometer survey on SMEs shows 70% of EU SMEs say they're facing at least one obstacle that prevents their enterprise from becoming environmentally sustainable. From the startup stage, sustainability is seen as an afterthought for many SMEs, uh, with the focus being on profits, revenues, and business growth. Growth. Uh, this is because sustainability is seen as a long-term investment that often lacks short-term returns, meaning for an emerging entrepreneur, investing in sustainability is less attractive. The current motto of the COVID recovery is build back better by placing sustainability and the environment at the forefront of our social and economic recovery. So how can SMEs be encouraged and supported to recover strongly while also thinking sustainably. So our panel today to discuss this, we have with us uh, Geraldine Mayu. She's the Acting uh, Director of Investment, Growth and Structural Reforms at DG ECFIN, the European Commission. Good morning. Uh, Milena Angelova, she's the former Vice President of the European Economic and Social Committee and Rapporteur of the Opinion on the EU Strategy on SMEs. Great to have you with us. And Josiane uh, Kutia, she's a Maltese member of the European Parliament and also member of the ITRA Committee in the Parliament. Good to see you. Uh, William Peter Grun is a senior research fellow and head of financial markets and institutions unit at SEPS. Hi, William. And uh, Lucia Silva, she's the group head of sustainability and social responsibility at Generali. Uh, great to have you with us, uh, Lucia, also. Now, uh, each of you, uh, you got about 60 seconds, maximum two minutes, just for your uh, opening remarks. Uh, Geraldine, let's kick off with you. Uh, good morning to all. Good to be with you. So maybe I, I'll uh, make three three um, main messages. So first, it's clear that the SME have been hit hard uh, by, by the COVID crisis. This is generally the case that SME face more substantial challenges in, in doing the transition uh, for a number of reasons. But in particular, now the COVID just create a lot of challenge for the SME. First, because they are overrepresented in the hardest hit sectors, such as food, such as accommodation, retail, but also because they had also more limited space to adjust to the remote work. Second, it is important, my second message is clear, it's important to support SME. We have done it at EU level by a number of, of initiatives, such as, for example, SURE, but it was also supported at national level. Now, the question is that while this at some point this um, crisis period will finish so we need to make sure that we continue to support these these smes in in the transition but at the same time it's important that our policy is done in a, the support is done in a clever or intelligent way in the sense that it's targeted to the sme that are needed it and it's um, adjusted over time and third one um so how do we need indeed we need the sme to um to go towards the digital and green transition uh, they have a lot of to benefit from it but it's also much harder for them in particular um, because they have lack of resource they, they invest less in, in r d and, and so on and so forth so the policymaker has a, a duty and a role to play to to help them and to provide for example the infrastructure the incentive and so on and then i think also two initiatives 
talk more about this at EU level have certainly helped and will help the SME in that challenge. For example, we have InvestEU with the SME window, but we have also the RF, the Recovery and Resilience Facility, which I have uh, put, uh, put together with, with colleagues and we are now uh, um, negotiating, I mean, we negotiate with the member state the various um, plans. And I think here there is a lot um, for, for the SME and I can give a more uh, detail in our follow-up conversation. Thank you. Jolene, thank you. Melina. Thank you, Andit. Uh, good afternoon, uh, dear uh, friends. Uh, I would like to start from where Geraldine just uh, finished uh, from the recovery and resilience facility. Actually, there are a lot uh, for the SMEs there, but uh, it's not uh, like a direct support. It's more indirect support and uh, facilitation at uh, uh, the level of the member states. So uh, therefore, it's very important that uh, the right environment is set for the SMEs. Actually, since I've been dealing with SMEs issues since 2002, I'm quite pleased that uh, finally, after a lot of uh, uh, requests uh, from the SME community, the Commission came up with the proposal for a sound and comprehensive SME strategy last year at uh, the outbreak of the COVID pandemic. And we still believe in the uh, fit for purposeness of this strategy. So we uh, really ask uh, the Commission, together with the Member States, uh, to make sure that all the uh, key findings and suggestions of this strategy are implemented when the decisions are making for the recovery and resilience plans at national level and also uh, equally importantly when the partnership agreements are finalized uh, later uh, in this year together with the relevant programs because those are the financial instruments that are uh, most directed uh, to SMEs. I would like also to stress to the fact that the digitalization is not a, a panacea uh, by itself. Uh, actually, the um, recently released uh, SME performance review uh, says that uh, a surprisingly large portion of the SMEs do not really see uh, the benefits uh, from the digitalization as they think that uh, the costs uh, really outweigh the benefits. For them, it's more important to have uh, a less uh, regulation, uh, regulation at red tape cutting, as well as uh, they uh, put the syllable over the intangible business assets like uh, image, long-term relation with uh, the customers and also uh, replying to the constantly changing needs of those customers and uh, they find uh, uh, growingly uh, difficult to compete over sustainable uh, sustainability with uh, their rivals. So I think that uh, the answer of all of this is uh, uh, very well uh, precise measures to support the SMEs targeted together uh, with their representative communities and uh, precise over the different uh, groups of the SMEs because saying SME, we target at 99.8% uh, of uh, European companies. So therefore it's uh, important to take into consideration their specific needs and remember that there is no one solution fit all for them. Thank you. Thank you, Milena. Josiane. I think you need to unmute. Points, there. I'll try. There we go. It's okay. It's fine now. Go ahead. Hello. Yes, it's fine yes, now. I said thanks and thanks to the colleagues for all highlighting important points, which I'll try not to repeat. However, we have to keep in mind yes, that COVID 19 has indeed increased some structural challenges which SMEs face and had already been there. And it's important to always think, even whilst we're recovering and moving forward sustainably of the importance of still tackling the traditional 
uh, challenges of access to finance, skills shortage, excessive administrative burden. These are all important to keep in mind as we transit. And then the recovery and sustainability go hand in hand. And if we really want to succeed, we, may, we need to make sure that we have our SMEs on board. Yes, SMEs are a very important aspect of our economy. We always call them the backbone of the economy. However, we need to move from words into effective deeds. And indeed, in the European SME strategy, parliamentary report, which I worked upon as shadow reporter, we emphasize this important aspect. And when we speak of sustainability, we still need to address how the SMEs look at sustainability, because normally it's still perceived as something negative, something that is a burden, and SMEs don't have the essential skills and they don't have the essential knowledge sometimes. There's this knowledge gap, which doesn't allow them to also see the positive aspects of the Green Deal, the opportunities that lie there. And for them to really transit and to have this real shift of paradigm of looking at the Green Deal and the sustainable recovery, not only as a burden, but more of an opportunity, we have to help them with regards to sustainability advisors, for example, with regards to assistance via funds. These are all very important. And yes, bridging the knowledge gap is indeed very important. Promotion of innovation is also essential. And this is something which we need to keep in mind during this discussion and for the immediate and long-term future. Thank you. And we'll go into detail later on. Josiane, thank you so much. Willem. Sure. Brian, Hi. thank you also, your active, for inviting me. Can you hear me? Good. Yes, definitely. Um, so, uh, maybe uh, pointing a few things that were mentioned to some extent, but I think it's important to, to re-emphasize or uh, clarify so, some things, at least uh, from my point of view. So I think what we are speaking about SMEs, we speak about companies in general, we're speaking about companies with uh, up to 250 uh, employees. But when we speak about this category of, of companies, it's a very diverse set of companies which um, have, for instance, been uh, targeted or uh, confronted, uh, affected by the crisis very differently. Um, this means that it's also very hard to come up with harmonious uh, policies for SMEs. So in most cases, when we target uh, SMEs, it's, it's necessary to uh, differentiate also in the policies. If you look at sustainability, uh, certain uh, SMEs have much bigger uh, type of footprint um, uh, global uh, environmental footprint than others. So also in the policies, this should really be uh, considered. So you can expect much more from a medium company uh, active in manufacturing than you can expect from a, a micro company active in, in service industry. So um, I think this is an important point uh, to emphasize. Happy to discuss later on. Super, thank you, Lucia. Good afternoon, everyone. So uh, let's say I can bring the point of view of a bigger insurer, uh, international one, uh, who is uh, very busy in uh, his uh, uh, its own uh, sustainability journey. And uh, uh, what I can tell you from our, um, let's say, point of view is that, first of all, the recovery must be sustainable. There is not an, another option. So uh, I can, uh, I can't, we cannot see any other, um, let's say, recovery, uh, but sustainable. 
the second message is that, uh, that it, there are huge opportunities in terms of the effort and the focus of uh, the European uh, uh, Commission on one hand, but also of investors. So there will be a huge uh, flow of uh, investment focusing on the sustainable recovery. Uh, first of all, the recovery will be green, uh, but also the social will follow. Uh, what we have learned during COVID-19 is that the health of environment and the health of people goes hand in hand. So we need to keep the focus on both the, these two um, areas. And uh, the transition for small and medium for, for SMEs towards sustainability must be just. So uh, it's necessary that uh, uh, the sustainable transition keep together the environment and the social peace. As, um, as I told you, the big player on uh, insurance on the insurance sector, we are also an institutional investor. We see that, that uh, we really need to push for uh, and, and support SMEs in the transition for, for to a more sustainable, uh, uh, let's say, business models. And that's why we uh, will launch Enterprise, which is a flagship initiative, uh, uh, really to support the SMEs uh, to be more uh, sustainable and how we are doing it. First of all, uh, having a survey, um, a research to focus on uh, this phenomena and really picture what are the data and the barrier and uh, incentives that SMEs needs to be more sustainable. Second, uh, we will bring uh, some sustainability heroes uh, to show uh, that that uh, uh, is it possible to be sustainable for any. Uh, SMEs, so they will be a kind of ambassador for all the SMEs. And finally, we are really trying to raise uh, uh, this uh, debate and uh, we will have a big uh, event in, uh, uh, in Brussels really to bring together the academia and so the research, uh, the human touch, so the people, and then all the key decision makers uh, to uh, really understand how to accelerate all together because this is really about making big partnership to accelerate this transition of, of SMEs toward more sustainable business models. I'll give you more detail in the following uh, uh, of this event. Yes, you will. Thank you so much, Lucia. Excellent. Geraldine, let's go back to uh, the, talking about the finance here. There are lots of uh, policy tensions we've just heard, and we're going to try and tease some of these out during the discussion. But we've got the next generation EU recovery funds, which is sizable, to say the least. And uh, you know, we, we have to assume that SMEs, they want to make this transition to the more sustainable uh, approach, but they, they really can't sacrifice profits or they simply won't have uh, a business uh, to, to survive. And th there will be no transition in, in that regard. So. You know, what do the recovery funds do? What facility is there for SMEs within this to help them make this uh, transition to a more sustainable uh, business model? Geraldine. Uh, yeah, no, first, it's true that we benefit, but I wouldn't say only that indirectly. I think we have both elements. First, indirectly in the sense that we expect that there are many reforms that are put forward by, by the member states and that will generally improve the business environment. And clearly that will benefit the SMEs. There will be also lots of infrastructure on digital, um, uh, for example, that will also help the SME. So clearly, indirectly, the SME will, will, will uh, 
benefit from that in terms of re reform for facilitating the business environment and so on and so forth, but it's clear. Second, indirectly, I would say also that many of the, the plans include a business that will provide business to the local uh, communities and then typically to SMEs because a lot of those plans include, for example, renovation ways or including trainings to, um, um, to, to on, on, on various topics. And this typically will be done and will be procured to, uh, to, to uh, local businesses and so therefore to, to SMEs. And then thirdly, uh, many of the plans include, in fact, um, some specific uh, funding for SMEs. For example, I could give you two examples, but there are, there are many. Um, you have, for example, in the in the Spanish plan, um, they include financial support for SME in the renewable um, hydrogen value chain to, to fund the acquisition of state-of-the-art production capacity, knowledge, and so on. So um, we have a bit the same in an Italian plan where we have also a recovery, um, um, just a green fund, so which will also directly provide uh, funding to, to, to SME. So clearly, we have both the indirect part, but we have clearly um, the direct one, and I think these are indeed substantial amount of money, and, and I think a large part will go to the SME either directly or indirectly. Thank you. Milena, the same kind of approach, you know, the SME strategy laid a good foundation. Uh, you know, the emphasis has got to be on, we're going to talk more about the digital side uh, later on as well, but making this transition. Do you think the recovery funds are, are strong enough, or is this so disparate in terms of different types of actions in different places that it's very hard to, to get the sense that this is a, a cohesive plan? How do you see it? As a representative from the business community, I believe that uh, the devil is in the details. And while I agree with Geraldine that uh, the recovery and resilience facility is uh, just envisaging uh, indirect uh, support for the SMEs, I uh, would really regret uh, the fact that uh, I think that uh, less than 5% uh, from uh, the national plans are devoted to direct SME support. I can give some examples also with the Bulgarian recovery and resilience plan uh, in which uh, I was uh, quite involved. But I can say that uh, the main issue also uh, in general uh, for these plans is uh, the dilemma uh, grants versus financial instruments. And here I could say that uh, uh, the SME community really appreciates more grants uh, where the SMEs are ready to donate, uh, to invest uh, the same amount as they receive as a grant, rather than receiving financial instruments. I can assure you. The bulk of SME population across Europe is quite uh, micro SMEs and traditional SMEs who are really even scared out of financial instruments. To train them using financial instruments is effort bigger than to convince them and support them throughout the digital, uh, the digital and sustainable transition. So my first uh, question for uh, the colleagues in this panel is what uh, do you see as benefits and uh, drawbacks of uh, grants versus financial instruments. For us, for the business community, financial instruments are too expensive uh, to be managed uh, to, uh, to reach uh, uh, the population of the SMEs and also are not cleared. So finally, uh, in our uh, opinion, in our knowledge, in our um, background, they reach really a very tiny portion of the SMEs. So this is my first criticism, uh, criticism uh, in general for the recovery and resilience plans. 
my second goes uh, for the fact that, as Geraldine pointed, the SMEs are supposed uh, to benefit uh, from those plans uh, by being subcontractors. I think that pushing uh, SMEs uh, in this uh, part of the market is really something that uh, uh, undermines their competitiveness in the long run. It comes also uh, together with uh, the uh, very ambitious regulation, even uh, some say over-regulation, as for example, last week it was the three C's initiative in Sofia, and uh, many representatives, not only from the business, but also from the governments, were pleading in front of uh, uh, Vice President Vestager that the, the regulation is the only way to boost uh, the recovery and uh, sustainable recovery for the SMEs, because unless uh, uh, the, 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 the uh, level playing field is deregulated for the SMEs, they will be really in a position of subcontracting uh, the big enterprises. And my last Let remark for the... Yeah, okay, please. Let me ask you about the deregulation. When we talk about deregulation here, and I think we're going to be talking about this a lot, what do you mean? What should be deregulated? What's, what's the, the framework uh, to make this uh, less bureaucratic? Milena. Great, I can start now and finish next week. But let's start with the financial reporting and the sustainable reporting, which is applicable also for the micro companies. And then we can okay. continue uh, with uh, the audit for the um, small companies, which uh, have a state uh, participation of 25%. There are so many tangible examples at European level that I think uh, it merits a different chapter in the recovery and resilience plans. And to that extent, I can praise uh, Austria, uh, who devoted uh, this uh, Austria limited part of their plan of facilitating particularly the SMEs to get started and to, to get developed. Uh, but uh, what I can also uh, say that uh, uh, when you speak with the very few unicorns from Europe, finally you found out that their headquarters are moved to the US and most of them uh, find difficulty to scale up uh, over the uh, European market, not only because of lack of financing, but also because of the very complicated regulation, which is additional cost and uh, time burden over okay. them. So I think there are a lot of to be, uh, to be done here. Thank you. Thank you. We'll come back to your third point later on. Josiane, you know, just to pick up on this point about uh, financial instruments versus grants as well, how do you see that? Do you think that that's a fair remark? One would have to look at a package of assistance, in my opinion, and therefore I would not um, rule out one type of assistance vis-a-vis -vis the other. But what I could say is that we shouldn't stop only whilst financial resources and uh, grants and, and uh, financial assistance is very much important. And I cannot stress enough the importance of continue assisting our SMEs via such grants and financial assistance. However, there are other aspects which we need to look into. Earlier on in my intervention, I mentioned the sustainability advisors, which we also pushed forward in the report of the European Parliament on the SME strategy, because we believe that it's very essential that we equip our SMEs with addressing the knowledge gap of the opportunities that exist. Not only this, but also in helping them navigate through the different rules and regulations, which may sometimes seem complex. And here I wanted to stress a point. I believe in simplicity rather than deregulation in the sense that whilst we need to cut down on administrative burden, bureaucracy and red tape, it's important to make sure that 
deregulation doesn't mean that we will be compromising certain environmental and social standards, including when it comes to workers' rights. And therefore, it's important, yes, to keep this aspect in mind. I would like to go a bit into public procurement, which could be a tool enabling SMEs to participate fully in a sustainable recovery. But for our SMEs to participate when it comes to public procurement, we need to make sure also that public procurement is issued in a way and done in a way where it is a semi-friendly, where our SMEs won't um, get lost or, or disheartened from applying. And let's keep in mind that public procurement around, accounts for around 15% of European GDP, and therefore that's quite a big chunk of finances. And it could also help our small players, such as SMEs, in participating in the Green Deal transition, not only um, from the aspect of going greener, but also in helping them making their economic model more sustainable and of benefiting from such economic model. Let's help our SMEs understand that when we speak of the green transition, it's not only about being a challenge and about rules, but those rules could have and those, those challenges could be turned into opportunities. More energy efficiency could mean lesser costs eventually. So whilst you have to invest, and there will be a, a capital investment with regards to certain infrastructure, then in the long term, there could be certain benefits. Those are some aspects, yes, and there are, there are a lot more things to say, but we'll go into them at a later stage. Thank you. Josiane, thank you. Willem, you, you pointed out the difference between the different types of, of companies we're talking about when we refer to SMEs, so the micro and, and those who are slightly larger as well. And clearly there's a different capacity when it comes to managing uh, regulation, when it comes to applying for finance and, and those different requirements. Do you think that the, the, the current recovery package has the right balance at the moment? Uh, or do you think that, as Josiane says, we need more advisors who can hold the hands of those companies that simply don't have the resources or the technical expertise and never will when it comes to uh, finding its way through this, this labyrinth of, of EU funding and regulation and member states' uh, own requirements as well? Really? Can you hear me? Good. Um, yes. I think it's it's more the later than the former. So uh, I think we we see if all the research we, we have done that uh, the, the smaller the companies, the the more they are focused really on the daily activities and don't have the luxury or, or resources to focus on on other uh, activities. So often I think uh, what we see is that the the, sm the smallest uh, SMEs are not considering even uh, applying for EU. Uh, funds unless they for instance go to their banker and they have an uh, option between uh, loan A and loan B and the one is, is with a uh, link to an EU instrument and, and the other one uh, not and the, the the one with the EU instrument is more attractive then they, they will go for it but otherwise it, it's it's not something they're looking for so um, that it's difficult for the EU to target and reach uh, and SMEs directly, even if they wanted to, uh, I think is 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 is, is clear. So uh, that you then look for alternatives. I think uh, you see many legislations, of course, that there are simplified solutions for SMEs. I think in many cases that works. Also, uh, I mean, also if we look at the reporting that was mentioned earlier uh, in this conversation, I mean, there needs to be some sort of reporting, even uh, uh, some basic reporting for your tax authority, so that there is then some uh, reporting also. Um, to register so that it doesn't add necessarily that much uh, burden for 
uh, SMEs. Uh, and if you then look at how to, uh, that's another aspect that was mentioned, like about the implementation, like what kind of um, advice should be given, then you see that there it really helps indeed if, if some of the burden is taken away. So either industry associations or advisors or uh, that uh, pr certain products are, are standardized. Um, so there is also a role maybe to play. So for some of, the, if you look at the supply chain, uh, so some larger companies in the supply chain could uh, ease some of the transitions that are necessary on the side of the, the SME so that the transition can almost go uh, seamlessly. Uh, and the other point, so maybe a last point on, on, on this is like, uh, if we look at these different sizes uh, of SMEs, uh, we in general can say that the larger the company, uh, the more uh, they have an effect uh, on um, uh, their emissions and, and, and other uh, sustainability uh, concerns, uh, the more you would be able to, uh, or you, you can ask uh, from them. Uh, and also in the policies, you can make that uh, differentiation. And I think also there you see, of course, already gradually that policies are um, considering not only just the bulk SMEs, but also considering subset so for instance only applying things to uh, medium and sometimes also smaller uh, SMEs or only medium and smaller listed or only medium and smaller um, manufacturing uh, SMEs and that way uh, you, you can ultimately make sure that the policies are, are, are becoming more uh, effective and also efficient and actually stimulate also uh, the SMEs to take uh, the measures uh, that are um, effective, not only from an environmental point of view, but also from uh, a cost point of view. And if we see, of course, that there is um, some sort of um, large cost on the side of the uh, SMEs, which is, is not natural paying off, then of course you can consider uh, grants. Otherwise, uh, also already financial instruments in many cases uh, can provide uh, the, the lower financing uh, necessary because we of course know that SMEs in general are more resource constrained than larger companies and SMEs in general have higher financing costs uh, than uh, large companies. So uh, in that sense, uh, financial instruments in general could work. However, there is a big issue in targeting them and reaching them. Uh, so we need to be uh, aware of that, and you often look at intermediaries like the banks and and others to 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 help them, or maybe also the uh, the sustainability advisors can sometimes help them. Okay, thank you, Lucia. You know, we're good trying to build back better, but the bureaucracy has the potential to, to stand in the way here. You, you mentioned earlier, uh, generally as an institutional investor as well. I remember with the Juncker Fund uh, in the previous administration, uh, you know, I spoke with American investors and, and they said, look, it's all very well, but show us projects. We want to invest in projects as well. So do, is this how you, you take the, the view, how you see the competitiveness element? It's not just about the sustainability of SMEs in, in the sector, but finding uh, projects, finding companies that have uh, uh, interesting portfolios, interesting capacity that will return an, our, uh, your investment in the longer term as well, but with sustainable credentials. How do you see that that kind of competitiveness environment? Well, I think that you know the biggest uh, um, challenge for SMEs uh, to be invested in is about disclosure. And my colleagues, the, the other speakers before me, uh, already mentioned it. Uh, this is the biggest uh, uh, challenge because uh, to invest, uh, 
uh, uh, is needed to have, uh, uh, let's say, numbers and uh, uh, possibly also have numbers that are audited. So, you know, kind of robust number. And SMEs are on their journey. And of course, it depends also on the sector, on the uh, size of the, of the SMEs. Uh, but definitely this is, uh, I think, the big challenge, but also the big opportunities that uh, uh, SMEs uh, have in front of uh, them. And uh, what we have been seeing is that some of them already understood the opportunity. Some of them uh, have already the processes in place and is uh, only about turning uh, these uh, activities and processes they have into numbers. And uh, and uh, let me say that in terms of you know the investment, what we we can uh, uh, say is that uh, of course uh, uh, as an institutional investor we look at um, this kind of SMEs that can provide this kind of numbers. We have already defined uh, uh, an ambitious uh, 3.5 billion investment fund, uh, which is really meant to support the recovery with a focus on uh, uh, SMEs. Of course, the process of, uh, uh, let's say, uh, making the due diligence uh, of these uh, uh, SMEs uh, can take longer uh, because of the data availability or not availability. So I think this is uh, one of the core topics that has to be faced uh, because uh, what we see is that reporting can be, of course, a huge opportunity, but also can be seen by especially the, the very small companies uh, as a burden. So definitely the concept of having advisors and uh, having clear uh, KPIs that can help really to focus on uh, uh, the real performance of the SMEs on very few uh, KPIs uh, can help. And uh, last but not least, I think that the new regulation, uh, I mean, uh, so far is a proposal, uh, uh, the CSRD uh, on uh, non-financial reporting extended also to uh, SMEs uh, might help to accelerate on, on reporting. Again, uh, the, the big, uh, they say, concern is about uh, not providing SMEs uh, with a burden, but with an opportunity and make it, it, it super clear. Okay, Jolling mentioned at the beginning of the year that uh, you know, with a wider package of skills training, there are lots of different dimensions to the support that's given to SMEs as well. And you mentioned about the advisors, uh, which Josiane uh, alluded to earlier as well. You know, when we talk about upskilling for SMEs as well, is this, should there be a component in there which is really uh, focused on finance as well, that this should be fit for finance and that the, the skills that to produce the data which will help them get the finance should really be front and center of, of this package rather than uh, you're putting other elements perhaps which look better in terms of policy for sustainable criteria, environmental criteria, but um, actually the finance and the data should come first and then everything else will flow from that. How do you see it, Lucia? Is it for me? Well, definitely. Uh, um, I think that the package should cover the kind of uh, financial, uh, uh, let's say, uh, support, uh, how to uh, really access to this uh, flow of uh, uh, investment uh, on uh, uh, sustainable uh, uh, activities, but also should be uh, added, uh, should be also another component should be uh, sustainability. Um, so really understand uh, how as a small and medium company I can be, I can have access to specific supply chains uh, or what could be the, uh, let's say, big risk if I don't, uh, innovate my uh, key processes. 
uh, I think that uh, there will be these uh, big opportunities, but also challenge of uh, the taxonomy. So the, this uh, flow of capital will uh, be focused on the green sectors. And uh, if you are a supplier of one of the company affected by the taxonomy, I think you have to speed up and move and make sure that your processes will be compatible with the taxonomy, let's say, criteria. And then the third one is uh, uh, definitely the digital piece. Uh, I mean, uh, um, I think that the future uh, SME entrepreneur uh, should uh, have also strong digital uh, um, knowledge and expertise. Yeah. Um, this question was actually pretty close to what I was going to ask Geraldine anyway. Um, Johan Barros, he says, we speak about upskilling SMEs to foster their digital and sustainable transitions. What do the panelists uh, think about uh, AIs? I think in this as well. Um, just to, to tell this a little bit more to, to your specialty, uh, Geraldine, you know, and when, when we talk about digital and uh, the financing, and the recovery packages as well. How do you see uh, the opportunity with digital within this? Are we talking just about digital skills, digital platforms that will help as well? You know, what role does digital play in uh, accessing the, these funds and, and uh, availability of the cash that's there for SMEs, Geraldine? Well, we have, as you, as you know, the RF as as twenty percent of the. I mean, as a minimum, twenty percent of the of the funding needs to be covering a digital. So, so there are quite a bit that 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 each member state has done um, uh, towards towards that. And then I think that in most of the case, this can be accessed um, by by the SMEs. We have a lot of, of for example, of training on 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 the, the, the indeed the digital skills. But you have also that many of the the um, the plans include uh, include some scheme generally uh, regarding that or uh, introduce also an improvement of the digital infrastructure 5g which is of course uh, very essential for any, any sme so i think generally we have um, um in the plans there's qu quite quite substantial opportunities for sme now i hear all of, of the speakers saying that it's true it's a uh, it's more difficult for for the smes uh, to to access those funds i wanted to um just stress a bit the specificity of the the rf because it's an eu fund but the very much difference is that the the sme do not apply to the eu they basically it's a member state that apply to the eu gets the funding and this funding becomes national funds so it's a bit also up to each member state and i think to promote it, and then clearly this is an information I fully agree, and this is also something that we've put in our in our SME strategy on the importance of of the information sharing for for the uh, for the SMEs. But I think it's probably also a bit easier for the RF because the the information will be then national. So, and many member states are planning to have schemes uh, for, for the SME and a large part, so to also come back to one of the comments, is grant rather than loan because in the RF you can take uh, loans but most of the member states have first opted for, for the grant so a large part of this money is really granted uh, to, uh, to the beneficiary and these can be um, SMEs. Thank you. Milena, Johan asked here also about uh, the role of artificial intelligence as well, which is fairly broad on this topic, but interesting nonetheless. Uh, do you think there's a role for artificial intelligence to help uh, boost this access to finance as well? Do, do, do we need to, to be more innovative with our, our digital capacity to help SMEs, or are we still continuing on an old pattern which is going to slow the process? Milena. 
Brian, if I may, before ask, uh, answering your question, I would like to uh, just uh, make uh, some few remarks. First of all, uh, to key performance indicators mentioned by Lucia. I uh, really uh, can uh, uh, assess uh, its importance, but I doubt uh, for their relevance, especially when it comes to SMEs. If we take uh, the average uh, micro company that I was meeting during the pandemic, it contains of one family. In the middle of pandemic, they are really struggling for surviving. Uh, imagine a, a family hotel in the mountains. So if uh, the uh, SME performance review from last week says that uh, key performance indicator are something that uh, can be offered to SMEs so that they monitor those uh, key performance indicator in their work in order to boost their digitalization. Can you imagine going to the mountain where the family uh, trying to find uh, funds in order to open the hotel, trying to find customers, trying to manage their supplies because they don't know if they have customers or not. And then I ask them, please also go for key performance indicators to measure if you uptake the artificial intelligence or not. Although I believe in artificial intelligence, I would like to say that uh, the gap between Brussels and the small micro businesses across member states is really big. So we really should uh, go down to the nitty gritty. Then when it comes to the support, I can tell you that during the pandemic, it was really clear that if a company would like to apply for European funds through the um, average operational program, it would take between nine and 12 months to get the money back, uh, uh, back if they are invested. While if the, uh, the, the member states make an effort and use uh, some um, general uh, networks uh, available, like, for example, national revenue agencies or something like this, to distribute those support to the companies. Uh, this uh, uh, period can be downsized uh, to about two months. So for me, also the speed and effectiveness of uh, uh, channeling the support to the SMEs is very important. And then uh, when it comes to the remark of Peter for uh, the segmentation of the SMEs, I have also a question here because for me, the industrial strategy and the 14 ecosystem is a step into the right direction because it gives a kind of segmentation for the SMEs according to the ecosystem they belong. But I have a question, how we will make uh, their voices heard? And then when it comes to the artificial intelligence, I think this is also the answer because those systems can help with the right uh, intermediaries to get better, closer to the SMEs in the member states, and then through them to boost the uptake of information technologies. And last word on the financing. The ESC uh, suggested that uh, financial ombudsmen are appointed in each and every member state, so that if an SME cannot understand the reason for the loan to be uh, the loan application to be rejected, or a grant application to be rejected, to know exactly where to go and to ask, because sometimes banks give uh, very unclear answers, uh, sometimes managing authorities give very clear answers, and then uh, the SMEs have no focal point in order to point their questions. Thank you for the time being. I think uh, uh, my uh, my ideas are uh, stopping here. Thank you, Melena. Excellent. Uh, Peter, maybe you are willing to respond to some of that first. Then I want to talk to Josiane just about this in the context of Malta as well and the gap between Brussels and uh, real life in the member states as well. Uh, just to follow on from what Melena said here as well, first of all, I found interesting the point about the AI that, that she raised as well, that this can help close the gap. What do you think of that? I think digital... 
digitization is, yes, is really an opportunity for it's really an opportunity for basically all businesses but can also be very much a threat um I think because companies also risk of, of becoming obsolete or, or their business model seems to become potentially becomes inviable. I think one important aspect for digitization is that skill matters. So in general, the larger the company, the more attractive digitization is. Why? Because in general, you have to do big investments to realize digitization and then uh, whether you have one or uh, 500 or 50,000 employees doesn't make much of a difference and also if we if we want a customer or 50,000 so doesn't make uh, too much of a difference so uh, skill really matters which uh, you will see also in, in the data so the more data you have the better uh, the AI models work so my point here is for SMEs Digitization uh, is an option, but threat. So it means that for the digitization, often depend on other providers, which makes them dependent uh, in, in certain cases, uh, which then uh, potentially takes also some of their margin away. And that's what we have seen with several uh, platform developments. So uh, it, it's it's really a, a challenge also for uh, SMEs to, to uh, respond well to digitization, if, especially if there is no uh, um, yeah, market enforcing or to make okay. sure that they actually get the support to do or the means to yeah, do so. Let me ask. Well, let me ask you just about this because, you, for example, I'm willing to give the example of the family-owned company, uh, a hotel in the middle of the mountains as well. Now, uh, a few months ago, we spoke with one of the chief technical officers uh, from uh, two within the the hotel company, massive hotel company, and what they did was they invested in just like you said platforms uh, which would help. Uh, small companies, small hotel owners uh, sell their packages and uh, tailor them to to the changing pandemic market as well. Do you think that our, our focus in terms of digital shouldn't necessarily be too much on the SMEs, but on those big providers that can really leverage the wider economy as well? And yes, there's a margin cost, just like you said, uh, but that margin cost is actually relatively small compared to the investment that would be necessary if the SME had to undertake that themselves, Willem. So do you think, do we need to focus more of our digital investment on, on bigger players who can actually change the market in a more favorable way for SMEs, Willem? Uh, this is a very tricky one. I think there are pros and cons. Uh, I think you mentioned already a few. I think uh, SMEs in general don't have the size, so maybe in a collective, uh, sometimes they will be able to do, but even there, it's very hard to get the funds uh, necessary. On the other hand, you see that especially over time, uh, when a platform becomes dominant, uh, the pricing becomes as such that a bigger, increasingly bigger share is, is is taken by the platform. So, of course, that's not always the case, huh? but we are, of course, uh, generalizing a bit. So, uh, and and that is uh, a concern. So then, of course, we have DigiComp and others uh, intervening to 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 break uh, certain market powers. And then on the other hand, of course, you say big companies can be a big tool also to drive change. So these platforms can indeed uh, improve services uh, compared to we know it can make it more convenient for the customer, but also for the entrepreneur, because also, I mean, in the reporting, partially, we also see that platforms are taking over some of the reporting uh, for uh, especially the smallest uh, companies, if we look at, at some of these platforms. So it's 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 a bit of both, uh, but it re really requires 
the, the supervisors as well as the regulators to keep a very close eye. Thank you. Josiane, you are the missing link that, uh, between Brussels and, and real life in, in the member states. You know, what's your experience in Malta here in terms of uh, making this transition to more sustainable uh, SMEs, finding this finance, digitalization, uh, you're making that work in reality compared with uh, the elegant uh, pros that we have in, in our, our policy papers in, in Brussels. You know, how do SMEs see it? And what, what examples do you have in Malta that really show that this is possible to make this change? Yes, first of all, let's start from the premise that digitalization and the environmental trans transition share some common DNA. And this is something which I stated in a recent European Internet Forum discussion which we had and which we should keep in mind because if we speak of sectors such as agriculture where even Malta is looking towards the use of drones there could be even um, environmental positive environmental aspects related and therefore even when it comes to manufacturing and logistics the environmental and the digital aspect could help each other and I would like to reiterate a bit before going into some concrete examples what some colleagues on the panel have stated. The fact that we cannot apply one size fits all in the sense that when we speak of SMEs, we range from micro enterprises to larger SMEs employing more people. And in Malta, we have these very small micro enterprises which are in a different situation than larger SMEs. And therefore, it's important to keep this aspect in mind. When we, when we speak of the digital uh, transition and the digital skills required, where we have data showing that SMEs still find it difficult. And yes, sometimes having a family-run business would be difficult to have the necessary resources with sometimes only a family of four working in this particular business to go to the training. So we have to recognize these different circumstances. And there's also difference when it comes to skills. So when we speak of skills, we can speak of AI skills, but then we can speak of basic skills which are still missing in certain enterprises. And it's important even to keep this different skill set in mind for the different SMEs and what they really require. Yes, when we speak of the regional perspective, we have to address certain challenges that SMEs coming from islands like the island member state where I come from and the islands of Malta and Gozo face. And it's true that whilst it's lovely doing business on a sunny island, pr practically in most and the majority of days during the year, there are some structural challenges which are faced, such as, for example, when it comes to extra costs relating to transport, to importation, for example. But it's not all when it comes to these aspects. We have to keep in mind that when we speak of these insularity issues, we have to emphasize further assistance, such as continued uh, relaxed state aid when it comes to companies coming from Ireland, something which I was trying to highlight also with my colleagues when working on the SME strategy, uh, European Parliament's report. But we have also to look into opportunities and how can we help them, even how the governments can help the SMEs in islands and other remote regions which are still facing certain challenges when it comes to digitalization. And I brought with me some few examples from Walter because it's always great sharing positive examples. And indeed, uh, recently the government has 
embedded certain incentives when it comes to its enterprises and the sustainability aspect. And I'll give the example of, for example, promoting a series of green loans to help in this regard. Also, the companies that there are companies that may receive up to 5,000 for an energy audit. An energy audit will help them to do this audit and see where they can um, also improve their energy efficiency, which would even help them in consuming less and having then also more beneficial bills in the long run. And this is very important. And yes, there are schemes that allocate, for example, SMEs resources to undertake projects improving their energy efficiency. These are only a few examples. I'm sure that colleagues have come through uh, other, other positive examples, and it's important to share these examples so as to help each other understand that there also exists opportunities when our SMEs are rightly supported, both from the EU side, but also from the local side. Suzanne, thank you. Melanie, you wanted to come back on this. Yes, indeed. I would like to ask uh, Josiane uh, if uh, she uh, had the chance to read uh, the uh, SME performance review, which says that uh, recently ACT sector actually is uh, responsible for 2% of global CO2 emissions, which is comparable to aviation sector, and uh, that uh, the uh, digitalization actually bears a lot of risks. Uh, starting from the energy consumption, from the mining of uh, precious metals in order to produce uh, dicey devices. Then uh, we can move also to data protection, data abuse, etc. So my question and also plead is, uh, uh, will uh, the parliament uh, consider also having a, a closer look to the digital pollution and digital risks? Because for us, it's clear that uh, green and uh, sustainable is uh, not uh, uh, always equal to more digital and coupled with the reluctancy of a large portion of SMEs toward if they really necessarily go uh, digital, I think that it's uh, a clear signal for the European institutions to uh, plan uh, more care, uh, with more care and uh, to tackle uh, deeper those issues. So this is my question. Thank you. Thank you, Josiane. Then Lucia. Uh, you're uh, on the mute, Josiane. It's okay, go ahead. Hello? Okay. Yes. So fine. I was saying that thanks for the question, Milena. And yes, we are aware that there are certain risks related to digitalization. And I, I, I mentioned earlier on that they we mentioned the twin transition and they have some common DNA because it is true that in most of the cases, digitalization could help towards more sustainable solutions. It doesn't mean that we do not look into the negative aspect or the, the, the risky aspects of digitalization and rest assured that we are very much aware of these aspects and we do keep them in mind. But it doesn't mean that because there are certain disadvantages and certain risks of digitalization, we don't look at the positive aspect of digitalization and helping towards more sustainability and uh, a better green and environmental transition and therefore yes risks must be kept in mind there are data protection risks as you highlighted and here we must help our SMEs even when it comes to skills relating to um, the rights when it comes to data protection we also are pushing I work on the digital field also at the European Parliament I also try to push at 
at our agenda, the European Parliament's agenda, the importance of making sure that our SMEs transit when it comes to taking the full potential of data, because at the moment our SMEs don't have mostly the adequate knowledge to monetize the data that they are generating and it's important that they have the, their fair share and when it comes yes to data which is the oil of the century it's important to make sure that the SMEs transit all along and that we look towards win-win situations not only for the larger companies but even our SMEs. Okay. Thank you. Lucia we have this dilemma we need to green our economy and at the same time we need to achieve a just transition as you mentioned earlier as well and if if we go too fast we we will lose part of a society that's unable to adjust quickly enough or lacks the support that uh, government is probably unable to give it as we saw with gilet jean and uh, as just one example and at the same time if we don't move fast enough uh, we're all going to burn to death, and as our climate overheats as well. So, yeah, what? How do we balance this? How do you uh, see this investment from the European side, from the private investor side as well? You know, how how is this uh, problem going to be balanced uh, quickly uh, and managed well? Well, let me say that uh, the social cost of not acting on uh, climate change will be higher than. Uh, uh, acting so uh, definitely the transition must happen and must happen very fast uh, say that for sure there is the big dilemma on how to manage the social impact of this uh, acceleration uh, toward uh, green transition first um, well uh, actually uh, the the what we are uh, in a way also proposing and we see as a kind of recipe is uh, first of all partnership, partnership, partnership between uh, uh, private and, and public sector, between uh, um, private public sector and universities to better understand, to better engage, uh, to better facilitate the kind of uh, exchange of competence, of knowledge uh, and also of uh, the different views. So um definitely this uh, this is the the, the recipe uh, that we see i mean uh, as generally we have uh, committed to uh, some uh, big alliances uh, the net zero sectoral alliances and now the net zero insurance alliances which are all about uh, being net zero by 2050 uh, and uh, uh, we want to reach the, the net zero through our investment and insurance activities. But the, the, the key of this activity, the key of the net zero is not just about stop investing or stop underwriting, it's really about engaging. And uh, of course, not alone, these are alliances of insurer or as, of asset owners. And I think this is uh, uh, really the only way uh, for all of us actually to really push for a change, a fast, change uh, which must be inclusive and just. Lucia, do you see the insurance sector as having a strong nudge effect on the economy in this way? It's, it's not a regulator in, this, in the traditional sense, but you know, small and medium-sized businesses, they need the insurance packages to be able to, to function and therefore the compliance element with uh, the sustainability criteria that, that uh, the insurers would set will act as a strong incentive for that compliance uh, as well and for that an investment uh, in the sustainability agenda. So do you see the insurance sector as a, a positive dimension, as, as a nudge facilitator? 
yeah, sure. <laughs> this is what we are trying to do in kind of also transforming our own business to make sure it really helps to accelerate the transition. So, and it's really about uh, on one hand on loss prevention, like, you know, kind of consulting on the main risk, which are sustainable risk. Because uh, when I uh, uh, help uh, an SME to be more aware of the extreme weather event, I'm, I'm, I'm providing them a consultancy on climate change. So, uh, you know, this is the first uh, let's say uh, tool that we have to support this kind of uh, transition and this kind of changes that is really about uh, uh, giving incentives and uh, about uh, the, the way we price the different companies according to the fact that they are or not uh, an, uh, um, in a way aware of the risk they are, they are uh, posing and then last but not least we are a platform uh, of relationship of people of uh, we have uh, millions of customers that uh, and and we are also in a way pushing for more sustainable behaviors toward our uh, insurance products so definitely is a kind of uh, you know set okay. of tools that we can use to to help uh, accelerate the transition thank you this this idea Geraldine, this idea of loss prevention as well you know you're uh, responsible for administering taxpayers' money, and we shouldn't have loss associated with that in the longer term. So the the idea that we invest in infrastructure projects, even if it's not SMEs, that uh, aren't fit for purpose for the for our climate future as well. I'm I'm here in Washington today, and the the big discussion is about you know, for example, in in the south in Texas, it's cheaper in the longer term to invest in sustainable infrastructure for climate rather than to replace what's already there because uh, the the long-term loss uh, from climate will be will be five times higher if it has to be replaced in the future as well whether you talk about uh, da flood damage or fire damage as well so uh, you should the european union using their recovery funds be very focused on loss prevention as part of their criteria for a sustainable future geraldine well, I think we we don't use this word loss prevention. I think, but what we try to, I mean, uh, clearly we have we have to incentivize uh, two things: uh, building new, but also, I mean, we cannot trash all what exists, and then we need also to provoke, to to help renovate, and that's the both thing that we are doing in the in the 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 RF. But I think one of the important element. I think it's quite novel in the in the RF is this do no significant harm principle, which is which has been applied extremely extremely diligently. Um, on all the, the investment that will be financed through this um, uh, through this facility, and that means that we ask to make sure that, and we check that each member state have done what is needed to ensure that the investment do not cause any harm, any significant harm to the environment, to any of these um, uh, six environmental objectives that is taxonomy regulation. And that, I think, it's quite, an, I mean, quite demanding, and uh, we have um, pushed member states to go towards that. So, so I think from that point of view, I don't answer completely your question, but I think we have tried to make sure that the investment now, at least, do not harm the environment in the future. And, and I think that's 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 quite important. Now, with the the whole the money that we put on the table, they are clearly. We've seen a lot of, of renovation um, part on renovation of public building. I mean, well, we can. Uh, I think that just. Uh, Tearing everything apart is probably a bit, a bit too, too uh, just uh, too striking at this stage. But but we have uh, many, and I think all of them, the state have included a component like this, which will uh, indeed uh, very much help to, to reduce the green gas emission. And so, 
therefore uh, help um, the, the environment. Um, and maybe one last word, it is not completely related to that, but I think it's an important point that I wanted to make. Um, it's also on, the, on our role, I mean, as policymaker, and we are, we are all here talking about what we need to do to, for SMEs. And we have, of course, put a lot of emphasis, um, uh, both at EU level and at national level, to help um, the SMEs in the conjuncture in terms of, of providing the support needed and the, the liquidity. Now, what is important is also to realize that some of these, so that the liquidity support that we've provided has, has hidden some of these um, weaknesses that are usually the case. And what we see is that there are much less um, bankruptcy now that is usually the case. So, we have also to be mindful of the fact that some of this, the, 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 the company that have been protected were relatively weak company and said before, we will see much more of a vague of, 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 of bankruptcy going forward. And so what is very important now is that um, as policymaker, you also talk to the, to the private sector to make sure that we understand where the needs are and to make sure that uh, basically the right company are continuously supported and the ones that should not be supported anymore. The, the, the support is, is, is in some way uh, stopped or we facilitate the transition towards a different business. The companies uh, die gradually as the, the social recovery strengthens, uh, I guess. Um, we have a couple more questions here. Uh, Willem, maybe you want to take these. I'm going to bundle these two together. Uh, one from Ernest Kovacs, another from uh, Johan Barros. Uh, Willem, Ernest asks, how do we make customers more confident in SMEs and their businesses these days? It's uh, fairly broad, but I think we can hit that. And uh, Johan asks, should we also rely on traditional SME advisors like accountants and SMEs for digital and sustainable tradition? To my mind, that would be uh, uh, in terms of skills and uh, training for SME advisors and accountants to uh, focus on digital and sustainable transitions. Willem. Okay, maybe to start with the last one. Uh, I think potentially sure. all advisors already assisting SMEs could be of help. However, we also need to look, of course, at do the advisors have uh, the skills required or can they be trained to have the uh, skills required to need to, to advise uh, the SMEs in the right direction? And I think that for certain advisors, that might be easier than, than others. Uh, of course, if you're more focused on, on, on financial accounting, I mean, there's also discussion, of course, on who does the non-financial uh, auditing. Is that the, the auditor or should it be a specialized company? The same is a bit for uh, this, like can the existing accountant actually, for instance, help uh, as a means in becoming more sustainable and also uh, with the digital, I think maybe the, the sustainable partially uh, but on, on maybe the digitization might be uh, uh, more difficult if it goes beyond just the normal business uh, process of, say, the administration process. Um, I think uh, someone already mentioned, like, uh, what are the main challenges for SMEs, but also for other uh, companies? I think today it, it, it's, it's not finance. It's in most cases, it's finding customers. And the second one is... Uh, finding the right employees, and in particular in Northern Europe, we see that that is increasingly becoming uh, a, a big uh, challenge for uh, all types of companies, which is especially a challenge in the digital area. Uh, so, in, for the digital transition, um, if we look at uh, customers retention, I think there it's very much, of course, uh, you're thinking always about uh, developing processes, interactions with customers, products in order to make them uh, uh, really uh, tailored uh, to your uh, clientele or potential clientele. And uh, 
that's of course depends on 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 very much on the entrepreneurial skills Thank you. Lucia, let me put this to you and then a comment from Josiane, perhaps. Um, you, when, when you talk about this kind of uh, data which is necessary as well and also the, the application process and, uh, for finance, you, do we need to upskill the advisors and accountants as well when it comes uh, to the digital and sustainable transition? Do, you know, I, I do a lot of stuff with, uh, on the legal side as well and, and judges now need to uh, we need to have specialist judges simply to deal with uh, digital uh, applications uh, for for the justice system as well do we need to do this as well for accountants and for sme advisors i think it will be for everyone basically uh, i mean i don't want to be too generic but uh, the real uh, i mean we are in the middle of a kind of a revolution and uh, the world in five years it will look like uh, very different from from now at least in europe and maybe in the us and then uh, you know i've heard that also something in canada and, uh, and 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 also in china so definitely i think that uh, you know something has been changing and i think that uh, more than thinking about just auditors uh, it would be like all the university system to make sure that the the new kind of uh, leading uh, uh, and key decision makers uh, uh, would have sustainability as a key component of their own uh, uh, let's say training and skills so and it is true for engineering it is true for biologists it is true for those in charge of communication for journalists and and you know can name it so and for sure for those in charge of uh, uh, who will take a degree in, econ in economics and uh, will be in charge of auditing uh, uh, like like integrated reports, uh, uh, which in the future won't be just financial, it will be financial and ESG report, because uh, we have learned that the ESG information provide uh, very key information, not only on what happened in the past to companies, but also in terms of, you know, what is going to happen. So they really give a kind of overlooking view that uh, is so relevant for investors, but not only for customers and for, for citizens uh, 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 overall. Thank you. Josiana Malta, you took uh, an approach similar to this with the contents, didn't you? That uh, you, there was a, a sense that the contents already deal with SMEs, uh, therefore focus on training the accountants. They will get the, the process done more quickly. They will understand uh, the complexity of it. And uh, this should oil the wheels of, of the financing. Actually, it's, uh, there's no actual uh, formal. Um, aspect there but it's a question also of the local authorities finding ways and means how to assist SMEs via advisors these in this case the financial advisors which are the accountants which are already assisting SMEs in the financial sector so this would mean that we have to look at the local ecosystem when we speak of skilling and of assisting our SMEs to address the knowledge gap, it's essential that we look at the local stakeholders, at the local players who, to, who could help us in this. Whether it, it, it is the accountants who are already financial advisors and who if they would know of certain schemes in the sustainable aspect and the environmental aspect which could help the SMEs to incentivize them in the green transition, could let them know of it. It could be the lawyers, for all we know, also who are also important professions who come in touch with various clients, including SMEs. And this is an innovative way of looking at the local ecosystem, of involving the local 
economy chambers, for example, the local stakeholders, the local professionals. And I also say when we speak of the skilling, I, I will, would like to mention lifelong learning and the importance of curricula at school. And here I am referring also to the importance of courses with our students, including those who are um, choosing STEM subjects and careers, when it comes, for example, to modules relating to sustainable recovery and the twin transition. These are important to keep hammering, not only with the already ex existing SMEs and their employees, but also with regards to future entrepreneurs when it comes to our youths and other persons who are still studying. This is very much important and something that I believe in. And then I also took points whilst we were discussing that we should not forget already existing structures which could help in an advisory role towards our SMEs. And here I do mention the Europe Enterprise Europe Network, which is also important to support our SMEs on energy efficiency, for example, the European Resource Efficiency Knowledge Center, which could continue to play an important role when it comes to important advisory role to help our SMEs save energy, material, water costs. And we, we hear what the message I'm trying to make and put it. Okay, I think uh, it's just frozen there. Parliament's uh, internet's gone down a little bit. Uh, we're almost out of time. Quick uh, comment from Milena just on the training, and then we're going to go to the uh, sound bites just to wrap up as well. Milena. Regarding the training, I think that uh, the local actors, the national actors, they have a really key role to play as uh, they are having the networks uh, to engage uh, all the SMEs uh, to uh, tap their needs and then to transform them into uh, including curricula and online uh, courses. But I also wanted uh, to have a replica uh, toward uh, Geraldine uh, in order to ask uh, how the Commission see the a balance between the disruptive and uh, the constructive part of uh, the support. As uh, you mentioned, that uh, the, uh, it, it's very difficult to decide whom uh, to get supported and whom to leave really to struggle and perhaps to die. For me, the disruptive part is equally important as uh, when it comes to uh, really supporting large companies, then we run the risk uh, that uh, we don't make an objective decision, but we also be actively lobbied. And uh, then uh, this active channeling of information really uh, twists uh, the perception of uh, relative importance of those sectors. For me, this is one of the most important questions also okay. to support the transition. Thank you. We're going to have to leave it there for discussion and uh, start our, our final remarks as well. Geraldine, uh, let's start with you. Recovering sustainability, how can SMEs achieve both? Uh, your 30-second soundbite. Well, I think that as, as many, many speakers said, I think these the, the two goals are, are complementary. I think there is no there is no choice for them. Uh, this is this is the future. So and I think that with the recovery and resilience facility, we offer significant support to reach both both goal. And, and we, what we see is that in many of the plans, basically measures that foster um, the, the, uh, the both objective uh, are put are put forward. For example, when you do when you do this, this, uh, uh, this, this plan that can be digital so green and digital can go uh, hand in hand and i think that uh, this is this is crucial that all all sme takes the takes the this 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 challenge and and for us uh, for the for the commission this is of course one of the one of the key flagship of 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 our our commission um uh, in the years to come 
Thank you so much. Milena, 30 seconds. Yes, I think that uh, the, uh, the answer lies in uh, listening very carefully to the SME communities in order to uh, arrive together at effective uh, uh, measures which are segmented and targeted to the needs of different SME segments. Uh, the only uh, way is really to have uh, the SMEs at the heart of all key decisions uh, such as Green Deal, industrial strategy, and uh, when empowering the recovery plans and to follow the suggestion of SME strategy. Thank you. Jussi, I am welcome back. <laughs> Digital upgrade. Yeah, 30 seconds, soundbite, off, off you go. Speaking of connectivity and digitalization, we sometimes have these connection issues. And indeed, I don't know where you heard till, till when you heard me speaking, but what I'd like to conclude on and also integrate what I was saying earlier is that we have an important opportunity now to really build back better even when it comes to our SMEs. And building back better means not only uh, sustainable recovery when it comes to the twin transition of the environmental and digital leaps that we have to make, but also in addressing the historical challenges which our SMEs have faced including access to finance and even the better skills and the skills shortage and the knowledge gap that we need to address. And speaking of skills, linking on to what I was saying earlier, it's important to involve everyone. Skills are a diverse range and it's important to invest in these diverse range of skills, including when it comes to administrative issues such as apply, applying to tenders to make sure that we involve our SMEs but also when it comes to technological skills and understanding Green Deal regulation. Over here, involving the local ecosystem, local professionals, chambers of commerce, academia, it's important to involve everyone to help each other really transit in a sustainable and just and fair manner. Thank you. Josiane, thank you. Willem, 30 seconds. Okay, good. Um, so in order to have effective and efficient policies, I think we need to consider really the diversity of SMEs to so sometimes also make a differentiation between different types of SMEs uh, in the different uh, policies. Uh, so uh, considering also different types, categories and sectors, for instance. Thank you, Willem. Lucia, last word, 30 seconds. Uh, audio. Your microphone, there we go. Here we go. Another, another so... Ah, the most popular. You are mute. <laughs> I think that uh, you know. Uh, I like uh, more than build back better is build ahead better. So we really think about the future, future generation, and SMEs are part of this uh, big revolution. So um, it's really needed to take into consideration the concept of the just transition, uh, really uh, for SMEs. And I think that the, the, the key word here is customize, customize, customize. So sustainability, green deal, and everything has to be customized on SMEs because uh, uh, all the rules that now are in place uh, are not, uh, uh, they don't fit for uh, SMEs, especially for the micro, uh, as uh, has been pointed out before. So uh, I think this is the key uh, big issue and challenge and opportunity we have as an uh, important organization in Europe. Thank you, Josiane. Also comments in the chat. I like the building ahead better. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks also to Generali for supporting uh, the program today. Uh, to our team at Euroactive, uh, Malta and uh, Zoran for the production and for the organization for Anna Matea 
and uh, Tamara also. Our thanks to Geraldine, Milena, Josiane, Willem and Lucia for excellent conversation today. A big topic, uh, a huge project and a big challenge for Europe. Uh, if you're in Brussels, I wish you a good afternoon. If you're uh, close to me here in Washington, I wish you a good morning. Have a good day.